This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. The Hockey News Podcast is back. It's Matt Larkin here with Ken Campbell, back from his trip to Columbus, Ohio. Ryan Kennedy, as always, with me on the right. And speaking of Kens, we're going to transition from our Ken to another Ken that now belongs to the Edmonton Oilers. It was rumored, then it wasn't, then it was, and it happened. Ken Holland is the GM of the Edmonton Oilers. So let's digest for a second. Hmm. I guess I'm breathing. I'm not digest. I'm digesting air. <laughs> and let's let's sort through this and decide whether this was the right move for the Edmonton Oilers. We'll start with you, Ken, because you're sort of the Ken expert among us, <laughs> knowing Ken the best, Holland that is. So, what do you think of this hire? Well, I think it depends on whether or not Ken Holland is is Jim Rutherford 2.0 or Peter Shirelli 2.0. I think that's that's going to be what dictates how this thing is going to turn out. I mean, you know, a lot of people are down on this and and I get it. Like I I get that people are are upset in Edmonton. They you know, I mean, people call, you know, I've I've seen all kinds of things these these fans are toxic and poison. No, they're not. They've been abused for the better part of a decade and they're and they're upset and they have every right to be. So there's a there's a lot of negativity surrounding this hiring. Um but, you know, I mean, Jim Rutherford was 65 years old when he took over the P- Pittsburgh Penguins. Ken Ken Holland 63. So I don't think age is a factor here at all. At all, he come, does he come with a ton of baggage? Absolutely, he comes with a ton of baggage. Um, but he's also a very competent hockey man. He's he's he is somewhat from the outside. He has the autonomy and the credibility and the and the clout to be able to do things his way. And uh, I think you know, given five years, I, I think he's still got some good years left in him. Um, I think that he will run a ship there that is much different and much better and much less dysfunctional than the one that is there now. And uh, I, I, I think I think it is a good hire. I mean, is it the best hire they could have had? I'm not sure. I mean, there were other good candidates out there. And it, it seems strange that they went through all this due diligence, talked to all these people, did all this research, and then turned around hired a guy without interviewing who was a guy that was an old crony from Hockey Canada. So I get that there's negativity surrounding that. I get that. But, I mean, I think Ken Holland has, has earned his, his, the right to give it a shot. What's intriguing to me, and you know, I, I blogged about this, was who does he surround himself with in Edmonton? Because if you look at you know, some of the new situations like Steve Eiserman. Uh, going to Detroit, he's bringing Pat Verbeek with him. But you know, Al Murray is staying in Tampa Bay. Stacy right. Rose is staying in Tampa Bay. Uh, does anybody go with Ken Holland on the scouting side? Because that's going to be crucial. You know, the Oilers have had a really tough time finding talent outside of the top one in the draft. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I I kid. Leon Draisaitl was three. That was a huge stretch. Um, but who's going to be running the draft uh, this year and f- for the future? You know, is is it going to be Keith Gretzky and Scott Housen? Is it going to yeah. be somebody completely different? You know, is is Tyler Wright going to come to Edmonton from Detroit? You know, these are all uh, X factors, and these are questions for me because I think when you look at success at different teams. It's that director of amateur scouting, that director yeah. of player personnel that is so crucial. And, you know, Ken Holland, it's kind of funny, he was actually the director of amateur scouting in Detroit when they had the best draft 
ever. Yeah. With Lindstrom, yeah. Fedorov, Konstantinov, yeah. Mike Sillinger. I, li- I literally ranked it in, in our most recent issue of THN as, as number one. Number one of all exactly. time. Exactly. So it was fresh in my mind. Um, but I think that's going to be pretty crucial for <clears throat> Ken Holland in his Edmonton tenure is who's are, like, who are his lieutenants right. and how does he deploy them? And, and he does have that. That background. I mean, that's that's where he came from. That's how he built the built the Detroit Red Wings. That was how the Detroit Red Wings became what they what they did become was by drafting and developing their players and doing a great job of it. That's right. And, and he showed a willingness to trust his scouts. Like Hacken Anderson is the guy we all yeah. think about, and that's the guy. That's your guy. That's your guy. That's your guy there. Yeah. That's your guy there. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I think if we think of it that way, he's someone who's who's clearly willing to trust his scouts and has a lot of experience because Detroit never had high picks in the draft. He's he has a lot of experience working with his staff to mine the yeah. depths for gems. That's great for Edmonton because they've had so much trouble finding good players in the later rounds. Uh, but if I'm going to put on the skeptics hat, one thing that worries me about the Holland hiring is, is that if there's one thing that's defined uh, the last let's say five years of his tenure with the Red Wings. It's arguably the worst cap management of anyone in the game. Mm-hmm. Detroit's cap situation is arguably the worst in the entire NHL or has been for the last couple of years. Uh, and Edmonton's a team that hasn't been overly comfortable in terms of cap space. And, you yeah. know, McDavid and Drysaddle's contracts eating up a lot of space. They're not completely devoid of space, but they don't have a ton. And, of course, everyone knows that they're trying to get rid of, for example, the Milan, Milan Lucic contract. But it's not like Ken Holland had a ton of success unloading Darren Helm or Justin Applicator. He wasn't successful unloading any of those guys. So I'm a little bit skeptical that he's the right guy. Technically, okay, he's pretty much outside the organization other than the Hockey Canada yeah, yeah, connection. Yeah. So that's, I guess, yeah. a good step for the Oilers. But my gut tells me it's still an old school hire. It I is. It is. It is. It's, a, it's an old boys network hire without question. Um, I think there's... Two people, and you've touched on one of them. I think there's two people in this whole equation that are going to make things really interesting here. One of them is Hawken Anderson. Uh, I don't know what his contractual situation is with Detroit, but I would suspect that that's been a very good situation uh, for Ken, and and he would probably want a guy like that in his corner. And the other is, of course... Wait, I don't actually don't well, know. Mike, Mike Babcock. Oh, ooh. Mike Babcock. Ooh, I didn't think of that. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. There's some. I mean, there there are people out there who think that the Leafs are simply waiting until the Calder Cup playoffs are over to see what they're going to do about that. And and I mean, you know, I I, I think Babcock's going to be back next year in Toronto. But I mean, it wasn't exactly a ringing endorsement from from Kyle Dubas. So I yeah. think I think it's let's put it this way. I think that's a situation that bears watching. Especially if you're Connor McDavid, because then you're going to have to look forward to being played 18 minutes a night and one minute on the power play, per power play. Hey-oh! Connor, when you get a little bit older, you might be eligible for more responsibility, but we brought in Ryan Dezingle, and we think that he can really be crucial to... That's right. We're going to scale you back. Yeah. Uh, playoffs, of course, still going on, and we've got another game seven. Game seven. We got another seven. Game. Now I know who you're picking. Yeah, I'm <laughs> picking the Dallas Stars. <laughs> game seven, baby. <laughs> Apparently, that was just a Freudian slip. Uh, so, who do we have for game seven? And again, I've been saying this for the last several weeks. I don't. I don't feel confident making any predictions. You about anything anymore? No, but you should. No, but you should. I'm now one and eight yeah. after Carolina. Yeah, but in the first round, what were you in the first round? One and seven, and then Carolina won, so I'm now one and eight. Oh, I thought you were zero and eight in the first round. No, I would have been so much better if I was. But I yeah, got one yeah. series. Right. Yeah, because yeah, because if you're, you're the gonna, Detroit if you're Lions that, of picking. If, you, if you're going to be that bad, you might as well just go, go all in. Memorably right? bad. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. ethically bad. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So. Okay. 
Uh, I, I want to at least have this discussion based on some logic, and uh, I'm sure whatever I say, the opposite will happen. But hey, that's still a prediction in its backward sense. So True. listen to what I say, and you'll know the opposite <laughs> will happen. Uh, but Ryan, let's start with you. Uh, who do you like for Game 7 in St. Louis? I like St. Louis, and the big reason for me is uh, Ben Bishop taking that awful shot off yeah. the collarbone. Yeah. Uh, I just... It's the worst time of year for that to happen, really. And, you know, everything is magnified in the playoffs. And, you know, I think we saw it on the Sammy Blaze goal that where he just teed up a slap shot. It, it felt like kind of yeah, like, it felt a, like, like, oh, I've got him. That's, uh, a, that's a road hockey yeah, move. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I loved it. And Ben Bishop even kind of had a look like, all right, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thanks for nothing. Yeah. Huh. Like, that's all right, amazing. I see how we're doing. <laughs> if you're playing road hockey and there's the kid that's afraid of the orange ball, like that's, you pull the big, you either <laughs> right. fake a slap shot or you buzz one by him. Yeah. And, and then he flinches every time. Well, in lacrosse, should... I mean, in lacrosse, the whole, the whole, strategy is for the first five minutes you don't try and score you just try and put it right around the goalie's ears all the time right (laughs) yeah so that's my big concern with Dallas because Ben Bishop has been so crucial to their season you know it's been a really tight series uh, where obviously it's gone back and forth but I, I just worry that goaltending is is gonna be a factor and if Bishop's not 100% if he doesn't have that you know, that mental edge, then that's very helpful for St. Louis. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I picked St. Louis to win the series, so I'm, I'm going to pick them in Game 7. Um, you know, I think at this point, um, you know, I, home ice advantage helps. I find it helps when you score first. You know, mm-hmm. um, that that seems to be the, 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 the sort of the, 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 uh, the formula, is to get home ice advantage and score first, right? Um, but I, I do think that that's going to be a factor. I, I think St. Louis is the better team. I think they're the deeper team. Um, you know, as you say, I mean, we don't know what Bishop's status is going to be. Jim Montgomery said he was fine after the game. It was kind of precautionary that they took him out. Um, but I, I just I just get a feel that, you know, I mean, St. Louis, it's a team that, that just seems to really ride that wave of momentum and I think they've got it right now. Right. So. And they're tough to beat late in games. 18 third-period goals leading all the playoffs. And I don't want to be that guy. I'm probably going to get accused of making it about the Leafs, but I just want to draw one quick comparison. And for Dallas, their game six reminded me a lot of the Leafs game six against Boston. The shots were 8 nothing St. Louis to start that game. So yeah. Dallas, they had St. Louis on the ropes. Couldn't close And they just up. showed Couldn't up on a, a matinee, right? That was, was that, that was a matinee, wasn't it? Yeah, it was an it? afternoon yeah. game. A little bit just sort of sleepy. It reminded me a lot of what happened to the Leafs. They blew the shot, and then we kind of realized, nope, that was their chance and they lost Game 7 on the road. So I kind of feel like it's going to happen to Dallas too, especially because we've seen suddenly Ben Bishop look invincible. And he only stopped uh, 80% of the shots in that game too. That was his by far lowest save percentage in any game all playoffs. Probably not a coincidence that it coincided with taking that shot off the collarbone. Did you just mm-hmm. say he looks invincible? Yeah. I didn't even think that was a word. It, it, so it might not invincible? be. Well, it might not be, but yeah. I use it sometimes. It's like, pretty <laughs> invincible. <laughs> Well, Vince Dunn is Vincible. Yeah, you should oh. be Yeah, no question. Irreg- irregardless, fellas. <laughs> Invaluable is the one that drives me crazy. Invaluable means valuable, you sons of bitches. <laughs> like, get rid of the It means the same thing. What, English, is, English is terrible, man. Come on. Inflate. Yeah, irregardless is the one that just drives me, or irrespective. Yeah, and even like teaching my daughter, like she's just starting to learn like, you know, letters and reading and all that stuff. And none of it makes sense. 
you're learning English for the first time, so many contradictions. Jeez. <laughs> All right. Rant over. Okay. Uh, but speaking of rants, Ryan, you may have one coming up here. Um, so, of course, last week we have uh, the, the huge women's hockey boycott. 200 names, and maybe that list is going to grow, but the 200 is they're being nicknamed. Kind of like the Crazy 88 and Kill Bill. Like, it might not be actually 200. It might be more or, or less. But uh, boycotting collectively uh, the 2019-20 season, unless they can find... Uh, a, a united league for the best women's hockey in the world and hopefully support from the NHL or some other large body. You had the NHLPA basically tweeting the equivalent of like warmest regards. Like thoughts and them, prayers. Yeah, thoughts and prayers. They may as well. Uh, so, so far there hasn't been a major response um, but I'm curious what you think, Ryan, because I know you had a strong opinion on this and what you expect is going to happen. Yeah, I mean, as I wrote last week, I thought it was uh, incredibly brave of this group to come out and you know, and make a stand because, you know, professional women's hockey right now obviously is in sort of a tenuous position with the CWHL <laughs> shuddering and the NWHL is it's still around, but, you know, what is the long-term prognosis? And perhaps something else comes out that, that changes these women's minds. But what I like about it is that it really echoes, you know, in 2017 when the U.S. women... Uh, threatened to boycott the world championship, which was being held in Plymouth, Michigan, uh, because they wanted more equal treatment, uh, you know, like the men had at, at international events. And for me, it's a matter of, you know, they could have settled, they could have said, well, you know, the NWHL is fine, it's good enough, I know we're not getting paid as much as we were promised the first year, and we had to make concessions, and things aren't so great, but at least we're playing. I feel that it's it's very much a a labor mindset that they have right now, saying, you know what, like we have agency, we are the best at what we do in the world, and maybe the you know the corporate money hasn't followed yet, maybe the attendance isn't there yet, but we believe in what we do. We've worked our entire lives to train for these years of our lives, our peak athletic years. And we want to make sure that we are treated accordingly. And I, I think it's noble because they don't know if they're going to win. They don't know if there's going to be something commensurate with their skill set. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they might never make, you know, seven figures a season like their male cohorts in the NHL. And, you know, part of that might just be because of the time that women's hockey has arisen where there's so much more competition you know, so many more male sports are entrenched in pop culture. And, you know, that's no fault of the Hillary Knights, the Brianna Deckers of the world, Marie-Philippe Poulin. You know, they are the best at what they do. And, and they're the best. They're the best that there's ever been. And they're the best that's ever yeah, been in the women's yeah. game, too. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I just feel that it's it's very noble of them to to take this stand and say, you know, our labor means something. We're not going to have our worth dictated by uh, outside sources. We're not going to have outsiders say you're only worth this much or you're lucky to even, you know, be on TV or you're lucky to even be at the NHL All-Star game. You know, for them, they know how much work they put into things. They know how skilled they are. They know how fast they are. And uh, they have taken the stand. And for me, it's, uh, it's, it's very brave to see. I agree it's brave. I agree it's noble. Uh, but I also think that in history, there have been a lot of dumb things done in the, in the name of nobility and courage. Um, and, and I'm not sure this isn't one of them. 
Um, I'm not critical of it. I am confused by it. I will admit I'm very confused by it. I don't know exactly what it is that they want. Um, and I don't understand why they think they're entitled to get whatever it is they think right. they want. Um, I hear you, Ryan, when you say they don't want to be dictated by outside forces, which is fine. Then don't go to the outside and say, give us what we want, right? I, I, I just, I'm, I'm having a lot of trouble with this. Yeah, I, I, and I, I don't want to sound, I don't want to sound like, 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 and, and we're three guys sitting around here talking yeah. about women's hockey. There's, there's something. There are better people right to discuss that. it. There are better people to talk <laughs> about this than, that, this than us. Yeah. But, okay, you've got 200 players. Okay. So that means you have enough for 10 teams right now. You have enough for 10 teams. If you believe so much in your product, then do it the way you think it should be done. Start a league. This is exactly how the Virginia Slims Tour started. The women on the Virginia, Virginia Slims Tour were upset that the purses or the, the, the prize money mm-hmm. wasn't near as good as it was for men as it was for women. So they said, okay, screw it. We're going to start our own. We're going to start our own tour. They started with nine players. Right. Nine players. That was it. And it's grown into basically what you see as the pr- professional women's tour is now, which is mm-hmm. which is thriving and very very good. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I just I, I'm I'm really struggling with a lot of this. I'm having trouble with it, and uh, I just don't know if the business model works. And I don't know if you can force a business model to work. It's a fair question. And I think I want to take a stab at least at what I think the strategy is. And I think it's using the court of public opinion. And it's not, it doesn't come from a place of entitlement. It's not that anyone is technically literally owed anything, even from the NHL. There's no right. official no, obligation. The game owes nobody right. nothing. Yeah. But there was, there was also no obligation when it came to paying the money uh, after, to right. Brandon Decker uh, mm-hmm. when she. When she Unofficially beat Leon Dreisaitl's time right. uh, at the All Star Skills Competition. The NHL didn't step up. Adidas did, and the reason why it happened was because of social media. It was the court of public opinion. This mm-hmm. wouldn't have happened twenty mm-hmm. years ago, but there was such a ground groundswell of support, and people even timing the, her, you know, her time on the course and talking about it, and just sort of a groundswell of almost I, I want to say love or something positive, and. The decision that Adidas made came from no obligation. It just came from benevolence. So I think right now uh, what the purpose of the 200 and the plea is, is hopefully to inspire benevolence. So the NHL, there's no obligation officially to spend any money, but relative to the amount of revenue they make, helping jumpstart this league would be a drop in the bucket. And it would just be kind of a nice, good yeah. thing to do. Yeah, and Not, but, No but, obligation, but just but good. As I've written for a couple of years, be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you wish for. The NHL is not the be-all and end-all, the cure-all for women's hockey. Mm -hmm. And the NHL, like, I'm not sure I'd want them running my league. And once, what happens once they decide that it's not a great business venture for them? Then it goes back. I I think the one good thing that comes out of this, one really good thing that comes out of this, is we are going to find out how much the NHL, how much fans, and how much corporate sponsors care about women's hockey. Yes. That's what we're going to find out. And I hope it's a lot. Yeah. I hope it's a lot. I hope that I hope it shows that they care a lot and this leads to something really good for women and something stable and and mm. that, that 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 they can that they can use as 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 you know as 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 something for their professions and everything everything comes out of this it's positive. I am a little worried about how they may 
how what the alternative might be though. Yeah. What if what if people don't? What if people don't? And you know what? I, it's funny because you were saying at the beginning of this segment that you were confused about you know what they wanted, but I think you actually nailed it on the head, which is this is forcing you know hockey society as we want to call it, call it you know, the hockey world to confront women's professional hockey. This right, is right. forcing not just the NHL but corporate sponsors. Major television, you know, like TSN and Sportsnet, like have they done enough for women's hockey over the years at the pro level? Mm-hmm. No. No, I, not I don't, at all. I, I don't know if they have or haven't. I mean, the you fact know? that we never hear about it, I think, speaks volumes. And, you know, the, you know, the schedule, do we know when the games are? And obviously that's on the leagues themselves, but just the promotion and what is the the grassroots appeal of the game. And, you know, Matt mentioned it with social media. It's it's on the front burner now where everybody, you know, whether they're a stakeholder or just somebody that's interested can be counted. And, you know, maybe that number is small. Maybe it's larger yeah. than we expected. Yeah. We don't know. But yeah. now because of the 200, we're asking these questions. And I think if that can lead to, you know, uh, a league where, Things are consistent where we know where the games are, when the games are, how many there are, that sort of thing. Then that's going to be huge for women's hockey. And and just to be a little salty, you know, you talk about the NHL. Like, I mean, they've been they've been giving they've been bailing teams out for decades now. Uh, You know, they're they're great at giving money to teams that nobody follows. I mean, (laughs) there was the Predators, there was the Coyotes, probably the Senators. Um, I mean, that's kind of their wheelhouse is, uh, you know, (laughs) giving money to teams that people don't watch. There you go. Elsewhere, Gary Bettman, NHL commissioner, last week spoke uh, at a subcommittee with the House of Commons in Canada uh, about concussions and the possible long-term effects of concussions he still of course is the denier and one of the one of the topics that was raised and this was originally brought to public attention by ken dryden i think the idea uh that all head contact might be the only thing the only way to to getting concussions out of hockey is to ban all forms of head contact including incidental accidental not just deliberate um but what gary bettman posed was that if we do that then the future of hockey could be a hockey with no body checking Um, if you made all all head contact illegal bigger players guys that have no they can't help but crash into people would be penalized for everything they do on the ice Uh, so i guess my my question is is it time to discuss the idea of that future because even though i certainly don't side with gary bettman uh on the idea that uh you know hockey isn't linked to concussions i think he does make a point that if we really do want to see concussions gone from hockey the only way to do it might be to have no hitting in the game. So do you think that is a viable possibility that we're going to see that someday? I don't think that we're going to see that someday. And I think Gary Bettman's logic surrounding this whole issue is a lazy, lazy, lazy narrative that has been perpetuated by hockey people for years that if you take these hits out of hockey, it turns into four-on-four ringette. I'm tired of hearing it. I I don't think it holds any water whatsoever. It's the same kind of lazy, lazy narrative that says you have to have fighting in the game. You have to have all the stick work in the game. they They could take headshots out of hockey with the stroke of a pen and players would adapt. Done. I don't know if they would. I think if you look at just the the speed of the game, it's the problem for me is the the incidental head contact, which happens mm-hmm. obviously. But how do you legislate that out of the game without taking hitting out of the game? 
it's going to be difficult because if you throw a clean hit, and often I think part of it is that a, a lot of uh, just the general populace doesn't understand what a clean hit is because mm. incidental hand, head contact comes with a head snapping back and people see a head snap back as a result of a hit, not realizing it's a hit to the chest. Right. It's totally clean. Yeah. Right. And eventually, and sometimes even on a follow through, or people can, it's like saying, oh, he left the ice, but if a guy's skates go, pop off, off the ice after impact that's yeah, not leaving the ice that's, that's just the energy that's the force and, right? and, and the high contact would not include hits that start somewhere and end no, with the head that right? would be considered because, incidental right, head contact but, but that yeah. would not be that would not be a hit that would be that would be banned, right? Well, we don't know. Uh, well, yeah. well, it's yeah. not in college hockey. They don't have. There's no. There's no tolerance for head co- shots in college hockey. But mm. if you start the hit on the shoulder and it moves up mm. and goes to the head, that that is not considered a headshot. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So in, in that case, if that's the way it would be policed <clears throat> in the future, so tighter but not absolute, mm. uh, I think it's possible that we could see a future where you could see cleaner hitting. And I always go back to a conversation I had with uh, it was Craig Button, and uh, a few months ago he was helping me with a story I was doing on. Uh, the the change the change of the definition of a power forward and the example he used was Austin Matthews and if you look so Austin Matthews is, is one of the he's part of a, a new generation that was sort of born in born into the new NHL right. so even when they were little little kids they were watching Sidney Crosby and you know the big surge in power plays and the crackdown on obstruction so they learned the game from their formative years in a generally in a cleaner way and you look at Austin Matthews for such a big guy. I don't know if I've seen a guy that big throw so few hits. Mm. And I don't mean that as a criticism. The way he plays, like he's a great takeaway artist. Oh, way, yeah. But everything he does, his entire approach to checking is to use his stick. And he doesn't even, it's almost yeah. like it's, yeah. he's not even wired to think about using his body to separate someone from the puck. And I think you see that more and more often with young players now. So what you could see eventually is when the uh, current generation fully ages out, you're going to get more and more players that were born into the quote-unquote cleaner era uh, because the game still is cleaner than it used to be. It's not perfect, but I think yeah, it's right. improved. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely, Especially in the last couple of years. Uh, <laughs> so those kids might just have it wired into their brain um, to just not elevate their elbows and shoulders and lead with limbs exposed uh, when they throw a hit. So you never know. It could happen. But at the same time, there, as long as we have body contact in the sport, concussions are going to happen. Mm. And uh, it's hard. I don't think you can have your cake needed too. It's like if you're... If you're so concerned with concussions that you want them out of the game, then you do have to accept the idea that you have to make hockey a non-contact sport. It's always going to happen, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, no, but I don't think I don't think anybody's under the illusion here that concussions are going to be completely eradicated from hockey. I, I don't think anybody's saying that because, as you say, a lot of these clean hits to the chest end up being hits and and a guy gets hit and he falls and hits his head on the ice i mean those things are going to happen and you don't need you to know? hit your head to get a concussion that's no, the, yeah, that's yeah. The, no no I, I don't i don't think i don't think anything is going to completely eradicate concussions from <clears throat> hockey but i think they can be greatly reduced with uh, with a no tolerant with a no tolerance um For uh edict and and i think it's i think it's achievable i think it's I just think it's it's convenient and lazy to say that you can't do it. I, I, I really do. I think it's convenient and lazy to say that you can't take fighting out of the game. I You know what? You can. And I think players adapt, and I think the game changes, and it adapts. Will there be as much hitting? No. But, yeah. but there just won't be a lot of stupid hits either. So I, I just I don't buy it. I'm not buying what he's selling. To me, the dirty little secret is uh, the players in particular – don't want a cleaner game. Uh, we, you know, we've seen it with the fighting surveys in the past, and when it comes to hits, even to the head. I mean, players say like, "Oh yeah, we want to get that out," but it's they're the ones perpetrating it. They're 
they're members of the union that could help stop it. And they don't because at this point, and I've spoken to players, particularly enforcers, and, and this goes years back, who say, yeah, I know I could I could get CTE, but I've spoken with my family about it, and mm-hmm. I make a lot of money. I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm okay. willing to take that risk. And I think at this point in time, I'm not talking about in the 70s or the 80s, everybody knows the risks of playing professional hockey at a high level. Right. Whether or not they accept those risks uh, is obviously up to them. And whether or not people watch is up to the consumer. And I think it kind of speaks for itself. Yeah, but clearly, retroactively, they don't accept the consequences because a couple of hundred, hundred of them wanted to sue the league more than uh, a couple of years ago. So, I mean, I, I get that the players don't want that, but, you know, it's not just the players' league. It's not just a league for the players and for hockey people. It's a league for fans. And know? that's what I'm saying. You know I think, what I mean? you so, know, like, the fans still watch. Like, the sports actually getting more popular. And, <laughs> you know, I think we're getting to a pretty good place where we're not seeing egregious headshots as much as we did even five years ago. Absolutely, absolutely. And yeah. I, I think uh, that that's the worry for me is that you you can dride in the game too much and that's when people stop watching. Mm-hmm. My conspiracy theory too is what if you can dride in the game uh, and you see a really drastic reduction in concussions and I think there's too much correlation visible there in terms of the way hockey is currently played and causing concussions and maybe the NHL doesn't want that data to be available and Mm -hmm. and apparent. Mm -hmm. So so it's future watch time. Mr. Kennedy, a couple of prospects on the board you've been watching. Who do you have for us? Okay, well, let's start with the Quebec League playoffs. Uh, They're in the final. Technically, they're not playing for anything because Halifax is hosting the Memorial Cup. Rowan Naranda wins the bid automatically for the queue because Halifax has an automatic bid. So really they're playing for the pride of the league title. Uh, but one player for the Halifax Mooseheads, 2019 draft, Raphael Lavoie has been incredible the entire postseason. 29 points through 19 games. That has oh. him tied atop the leaderboard with Joel Teasdale, who's a Montreal Canadiens pick. Uh, Lavoie is very intriguing to me because he's big, he skates well, he's got a great shot. Great reach. He had a shorthanded goal the other night that was fantastic. Great anticipation there. The only thing that scouts worried about, you know, when I spoke to them for draft preview was consistency. Because in the regular season, his numbers weren't great. And he certainly had ample opportunity, but it just wasn't coming together. There were, you know, parts of his season where, you know, he went into scoring slumps. And there's, you know, even parts of games scouts were seeing him a bit off. But this postseason, he's been on Every game, and I think that really bodes well for him. Um, you know, speaking with scouts, it, it, you know, sort of a, a couple of weeks ago or even a month ago, they were saying, you know, the the first pick out of the Quebec League will probably be either Lavoie, uh, Jacob Peltier from Moncton, or Samuel Poulin from Sherbrooke, and they were kind of in a big knot together. But I kind of feel like based on what Lavoie has done since those talks, that he's kind of put himself in his own category. Good. I want to ask you too. So right now, I'm going to give a little spoiler for draft preview. I'm going to I'm going to tell you that Raphael Lavoie is is between 10 and 15. Okay, in the rankings. I'm not going to give you his official ranking because I want you to buy draft preview. That's right. Uh, Here but, it is. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, but uh, Ryan, do you think is this a case where he's helped his draft stock by five spots? Or I don't anything know dramatic like that. Yeah, I don't know if it's that much. I think we probably still have him in the right place. 
but it's to me it's more concrete. Whereas there was a bit of projection, and you know, granted the the final draft preview blurbs uh, were due a couple of weeks ago, so I had a bit of the playoffs to to chew on when I was doing his blurb in particular. But I think now it kind of cements that ten to fifteen status. Whereas you know. If you'd gone back two months ago, it might have been a little more of a projection on my part. So that's how I would put that. Um, speaking of playoffs, the AHL into round two right now. And the other prospect I'd like to feature today, Rasmus Sandin, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs first rounder playing for the Toronto Marlies. Uh, fantastic Swedish defenseman. Seven points through six games for the Marlies. That's tops among all blue liners in the AHL playoffs right now. Uh, He's been great for them. He's a mobile guy. He's responsible. He can kind of do a bit of everything out there. And it's very interesting because, you know, we talked about how chaotic the Stanley Cup playoffs have been. The Calder Cup playoffs have been the same. Uh, You know, the Marlies finished third in their division. They're playing Cleveland, Columbus's affiliate, in the second round. Cleveland was fourth. Yeah. They knocked. They knocked off uh, number one Syracuse in the first round. Who is Tampa Bay? Who is Tampa Bay's affiliate? Just, just like uh, just crushing. Why don't you just kick me in yeah. the slime yeah. can if and you're and Tampa Bay, right? Yeah. What's oh, going yeah. on in the ECHL right now? <laughs> yeah. Let's just see if this is going. Um, but anyway, so it's interesting because the Marlies all of a sudden are looking pretty dangerous. And you know, last year they won the title and they had a lot of good yeah. top end talent yeah. there. Andreas Janssen was the MVP. Travis Dermott was on that team. Garrett Sparks was very good for them in net. This year, it felt like they were kind of like resetting a bit. It's like, yeah, hey, you got Jeremy Bracco and Timothy Lilligren. Uh, we'll see what Sandine can do. But I'm, they're kind of coming together. And uh, Igor Korshkov came over from Russia. He's already played a game for them and scored a goal. So it'll be really interesting to see what they can do. Uh, obviously, they're not even halfway through, but they've got a stranglehold in that Cleveland series. But Sandine has been a, a big driver for them. For sure, and I think it's important uh, for Leaf fans if you're wondering about how the team's going to look next year. And I talked to Sheldon Keefe about it a few months ago for Future Watch, and it was so apparent how quickly Sandine uh, leaped ahead of uh, Timothy Lilligren in the pecking order, even though I know they play opposite sides, but just in terms of general prospect standing in the organization. And he said that he couldn't believe how quickly uh, Sandine looked like a real pro and how quickly he could think the game. And that's important because he's a left shot, and the Leafs have Morgan Riley, they have Jake Muzzin, they have Travis Dermott, you have... Jake Gardner, who's a UFA, and I think Sandine's ascension, the fact that he he looks like he might be NHL ready next year, even that would create a logjam with Gardner not even involved. So I think it just it seals Gardner's fate uh, leaving to a new team as a free agent. If, if, it, if it hadn't happened already, I think just right. Sandine's ascension yeah. just further cements that. Mm. So Ryan, we're going to give you the floor again to keep talking some draft preview. Um, just for anyone listening and anyone who's interested in getting draft preview, can you tell us a bit about how you put it together and you and Ken do it together but you talk to your scouts and you comprise your ranking system and how is it done? Yeah, I mean it's one of the most fun things I do every year. I, I really, really enjoy putting together draft preview and, and basically my process is throughout the season I'm speaking with scouts that work for NHL teams from around the world about particular players and I'll speak to multiple scouts about the same player. Sometimes I'll even have regional guys that are almost like my good cop, bad cop. Like I know some guys are more critical than others. Um, And that way I get sort of a sense of where players fit in. And I'll even talk to NHL execs and bounce ideas off them saying, okay, well, is this guy ahead of this guy in the WHL, for example, or whatever it happens to be? And... And obviously when I'm when I'm getting these quotes, they tend to be from Christmas on because scouts 
the way that they make their rankings, they always have multiple viewings. They, they watch guys mm-hmm. before Christmas and after Christmas, home and away, you know, various scenarios. If you can get international play, that's great as well. So basically, I, I put together a list, and then uh, Ken and I split up the write-ups, and uh, you know we'll fine-tune things as we go. And what I'll what I'll often do too is that, you know I'll, I'll give Ken certain guys and say, okay, when you talk to your scouts, you know, see if I'm way off. Uh, you know, see if a guy needs to be a little higher, a bit lower. And then we put together the rankings. Uh, one thing I will note, uh, just a, a very insider's thing for people, is that. You know, we do longer write-ups for the top 62 prospects, and then we yeah. have short ones that go to 100. Um, when it comes to those final couple, like 61, 62, often those are kind of keystone guys. They're often goalies because goalies tend to go later than usual in the draft mm-hmm. uh, just because it's it's such a hard position to predict. But I always want to have a couple of goalie write-ups that are bigger just so people know who the prominent ones are. So you'll often see a goaltender at the 61 or 62 slot where he, he might not go until the third or fourth round, but I want you to know who he is. Yeah. So here's the backstory. And at the end of the list... Number 100 or 99 tends to be a player that might not go in that range, but is one to watch. So it could be a player whose stock really dropped off that you might be saying otherwise, well, where's this guy? I remember hearing about him earlier in the year. Or somebody that's like a raw dark horse where they might go in the fourth or fifth round or even the sixth round, but there's something there where they could be very intriguing soon. A good example would be Jack Dugan, uh, who I think I had at 100 a year or two ago, and Vegas took him, and he has been amazing uh, since then. He was playing for Providence College this year in the NCAA and, and was very good there. Um, so those are just two things to w- watch out for in draft previews, that it's not always a straight 1 to 100. Yeah. It's, it's trying to give people an overall sense of what this draft is all about and who some of the characters are. Yeah, and there's an always an interesting push and pull, isn't there, Ryan? Like, oh yeah. Like, because we're because I mean I, I think what we uh, you know what we we try to get it as 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 accurately as we can, but but in a lot of cases we're not predicting where these guys are going to get picked more than we're saying this. If we have a guy pegged at number eight. He's going to be the eighth best player in this draft. Like you know? Philip Forsberg, yeah, in his yeah, draft year. yeah. We had number two, baby. Right. That's right. So, so, so that so there's that, and and in that vein, to pull the screen back or to pull the curtain back even maybe a little bit further, to bring it to this year, uh, you know, I mean, Ryan will remember that we had Cole Caulfield at a certain spot on mm-hmm. this, and then Cole Caulfield was started just ripping up the under 18s and doing all sorts of interesting things, mm-hmm. and I was talking to scouts about him and they were like wow you know five years from now we may be talking like we're talking about Johnny Goudreau now and everything and so I go back and I say you know this is what I'm hearing and we say okay yeah that probably merits him moving up and mm-hmm. and again we're not going to give away where he's where he's ranked yeah but he moved up it's fair to say he moved up significantly yes because we kind of had that sort yes. of thing going on so yeah. it was that was kind of cool yeah and again that's it's the enjoyable part of this and I mean it's it's a lot of anxiety because the stakes are so high, um, but it is it is super fun. And then when it gets to draft day, it usually all gets blown up anyway. Yeah, exactly. But uh, it is fun to go back and look at the blurbs from previous years and look at the rankings and and see how things panned out. So it's 
Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a lot of fun. Absolutely. And Draft Preview, it should be on newsstands right about now. You can also get to it online. You can become a member and through, through the membership program, read the Draft Preview content, all access very soon. Lots of fun. Watch for it. And now, Kenny Boy, we didn't have your hot take. I had to take the mantle from you last week. It's good to have you oh, back. Oh, yeah. Okay. So give us the goods, baby. Okay. Well, today, you know, today when you were walking to your desk there one time, I just wanted to come up and push you from behind. With a, with a, <laughs> a cross check, right? I'll just push it. Yeah. Or just take, yeah, take like something in the office and just, just hit you across the back and see you fly <laughs> into your desk and see what happens. And then expect nothing to happen because, you know, that's, you should be prepared for that, yeah, right? No penalty. Sure. Anybody other than me getting tired of watching guys get cross-checked a hundred po- times a game? Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 getting ridiculous. It happens in front of the net. <laughs> Bless you, Matt. It happens in front of the net. It happens both on offense and defense. Defensemen and forwards are equally guilty. Um, and uh, to me, I know a couple of years ago you talked about the casual slash. And how that had just crept into the game and be, had become part of the game. And that was kind of your narrative. Well, I'm going with that mm-hmm. on the cross-check. The casual mm-hmm. cross-check. It's basically just become part of the game. And you can talk all you want about the um, the, uh, the the cross-check on Joe Pavelski from Cody Eakin. But my point is, is that if cross-checking isn't just accepted as part of the game, maybe Cody Eakin goes into that face-off and goes... Well, you know, if I get dummied on this draw, which I probably am because it's Joe Pavelski, maybe I'm not going to respond by cross-checking him, yeah, and right. he doesn't cross-check him, and then all those bad things don't happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm. So I, I'm just tired of seeing this. This is just, it's getting to the point where it's ridiculous now. And it's a weird one, too, because it's not a case, it's not It's not a matter of policing something that isn't in the rule book, like I always use the, the four, yeah. Rule 48 example. Yeah. In this case, cross-checking is in the rule It book. actually is. So it's not introducing a new rule, it's, it's reinforcing something that's already in there, and that's the approach that was taken to slashing. So I don't see why the NHL could not do the exact same thing with cross-checking because the slashing crackdown, I think, has been one of the most influential changes in the past several years in the game. I think that and, and shrinking the goal equipment. But um, the slashing crackdown, I think, is as responsible as anything for the big increase in offense. That's why you're seeing so many little guys, Alex Dabrinkit, Braden Point, yeah, etc., yeah, yeah. doing so much damage out there. Uh, so I, I, I agree. And I think it's interesting. It's like who would benefit most from a change in the cross-checking rules. I think it would be um, power yeah. forwards who are yeah, yeah. net front guys. Uh, yeah, you're exactly, not getting yeah. drilled in the spine yeah, over and 15, over. 15, 16 net. times a game, yeah. yeah. Also, yeah. Essa Lindell. Yes. <laughs> yes. Burn. Lindell burn. <laughs> All right, Kenny, that's a good take. Uh, it's mailbag time now. The first question is from Sean, and Sean says, do you think the Hawks will be aggressive in the UFA market this summer? Uh, I'll start with this one because I was actually just writing about this for our next issue. <laughs> I'm really plugging stuff today. Our next issue is going to be our free agency <laughs> preview. Uh, and I do think it's been so long because the Capitals under the Stan Bowman era and before that, Dale Talon were always the cap crunch team. And I think this is going to be the first summer in quite some time when they're not the cap crunch team. They're not swimming in cap space in unbelievable shape, but you do have Cam Ward coming off the books, Chris Kunitz. I think... A few guys chewing up several million dollars. Chris Kunitz played, played for the Black. Yes, yeah, he did. He played for the yeah, Black. Yeah, he did. Yeah, <laughs> he that's did. one of those. That's one of those ones. Ten years from now, you're going to be going through the NHL. Well, you're not going to be going through it like this. You're going to be looking at it online, right? And you're going to go. You're going to see that line. Chris yeah. Kunitz, Chicago, Chicago, and and you're going to go like, what? damn, was damn, he a Black? He was he a Black? Yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, and I, I think the Hawks, because they have that space, and there's been some rumors that they're going to be aggressive. And I've talked about how. 
They've done a very impressive sort of mini rebuild. They had three first round picks in a span of two years. They completely fixed their blue line pipeline with Bokfist and Yoki Haru mm-hmm. and Bonin. Uh, and with that Dylan Strom trade, suddenly they have two good scoring lines, and that gave them the ability to play Kane and Tage on the same line, and it really changed the, the dynamic, I think, of the Chicago roster. And they flirted with a playoff spot, so I think their trajectory is suddenly pointing up again because they have those two good scoring lines, and they suddenly have, uh, I think, a, a mentality of, ooh, we might have a window to kind of be good again before Patrick Kane's prime is over, mm-hmm. so this might be a chance to take a shot and pursue a free agent. Maybe it's going to be Artemi Panarin. I think they're going to be in on Panarin again, even though Quenville's not there. I, yeah. I still, I mean, the chance to play with your old teammates, I, I do think Chicago's a contender for Panarin. But do they need Panarin? Do they well, need Panarin? I mean, do they I, need, I don't think, do they I need think more anybody scoring? could use Panarin. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah I mean, I guess you can, always, dessert? you can always yes. use more scoring. You can always use more scoring. But to me, I think, you know, it's pretty clear that they need help on the back end. They do. But and, the problem is this year's free agent right, class exactly. is very, very weak. Yeah, I mean, so, you, is is is. Is Eric Carlson the answer to their problems? I doubt it. I think, see, to me, I think it, you go after a guy like Anton Stroman. Yeah. Or, or you know try to mean? make a like trade. A guy, yeah. yeah, or, or, or Jacob, Jacob Truba, which is exactly yes. what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, that's the kind of movie I think you need to make. I don't think Chicago needs to make a big splash on the free agency market. Mm-hmm. I don't think they need that. I think they need to actually fine-tune and improve their team, and and, and especially on the back end. And so... Like to me, I think you know Antron Str- Stroman is 32, and he's and he is injury prone. But I think he's a guy that could be what Johnny Oduya was to them a few years ago, you know, yeah. and a guy that you could get probably for a decent term for a decent price, you know, that kind of thing. You know, maybe you maybe you do go after a Jake Gardner. Maybe maybe that's where you make your splash. Yeah, I think I like yeah. that idea better. Like someone who's relatively young and has some upside left. Because I think yeah. it's not like Chicago's one move away from being a juggernaut. I think they yeah. would need but I mean if you if Or you an threw, Alex Adler. You know, yeah, like, Adler, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. But if yeah. you threw if you threw a big name, I mean it would have to be a true but someone through a trade, a big right. name like that, then you really do I think change the outlook of the team. So right. yeah, see I think I, I think this is the time for Chicago to do very little because yeah, as we mentioned, that defense core, you know, the Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook era is is over, even though their contracts live on. Um, you know, and as you mentioned, Matt, they have several very good youngsters coming up the pipeline. What I think they need right now is just some stability, at least one year where they kind of just let the chips fall where they may. And I get what you're saying about, you know, Kane, but I think they just need to uh, let the kids learn. Next question is from Sauce Daddy. Sauce Daddy, who might be, I don't know, a rapper or something, says, do you guys enjoy slash watch the world championships at all when the NHL guys go over? Okay, a few things, Sauce Daddy. It's just one championship. There aren't multiple trophies handed out. (laughs) So it's just the world championship. It's singular. Oh, man. Oh, Uh, man. That's a bugaboo. I'm just making an example out of you, Sauce Daddy. (laughs) Everyone says this, okay? I'm not trying to pick on you, okay? But that's that's part one of the answer. Uh, Part two is, yes, of course, we all watch because just being – hockey news employees we have to pay attention to the tournament um but i sort of watch it reluctantly because i've always not been a fan of steven steven our our producers give me the finger right now uh but i've never been a fan of the world championships because oh i just said ships oh my god uh-huh. oh my god oh, okay Matt, here's how it works Wait, it's only one no, championship it's okay because i'm referring to the tournament every year so i'm referring to years <laughs> okay. of, the, of the tournament okay uh but what i've always hated about this tournament is that it doesn't 
answer anything. Is it no nope. determinant deciding who the best hockey team in the world is? Nope. It's just basically road hockey where you knock on doors in your neighborhood and say, can you, can you come out to play? Are you available? Oh, no, sorry, I got a homework. Okay, it's okay. We'll just play with whoever's around, okay, whoever missed the playoffs. It's not best on best. The World Juniors are best on best under the umbrella of a certain age, so there's stakes there. Obviously, the Olympics have stakes. The they NHL used to playoffs, anyways. yeah, they, used they to have used stakes. To. And yeah, exactly. And it's the same problem. Uh, there's just nothing at stake to me. There's, mm-hmm. I, I can't get excited because it's like, oh, well, this team won. Well, what, what did you win? Some of your guys beat some of someone else's guys. It's the whoever's available cup. Right. Yeah. It's right. not best on best. And it's international hockey, so the officiating is always a little dodgy. Unlike and... the Stanley Cup playoffs when it's awesome. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's always dodgy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm with you, Matt. It's kind of like, oh, that's interesting. Slovenia beat France three to two. Yeah, it's that an, will have it's, long-standing it's, consequences. Yeah, it, it's 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 interesting, and I like it. Um, it you know, it's funny. I, I remember talking to a former player about it, and I think we were talking about a young guy who had done something, who had had a really good World Championship. And he said, yeah, but you realize everybody over there, they're just drunk all the time, right? <laughs> like, that's what he said, right? So he's, his, his contention was that it's just kind of a big party for these guys. If and, anything, and it's and harder to play when you're <laughs> yeah, drunk. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you ever try we to play should, when you're drunk? It's we awful. should love them more hard. than we do. Very, very hard. Um, but, I, I mean, I like it. I, I, but I don't like – I'm going to like it this year because I want to see what Jack Hughes is going to do. Yeah, fair You enough. know, I think that's going to be really and cool Capo to watch. Caco. Yeah, I think that, that – those things are going to be really cool to watch. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't get too wrapped up in it, largely because the playoffs are on. And secondly, the games are on during the day, for the most part, because they're in Europe. Um, but I, I'll tell you, I was in Quebec City for the World Championship in 2000 and blah, blah, whatever it was. I don't even remember, 2009, I'm going to say. Sure. Or eight. Um, and the atmosphere there was unbelievable. It was mm. great for that final game. That was that was one of the that was one of the great games I've seen in my time. So nice. I take it for what it is. It's a, it's a cool tournament. I don't put too much stock in it. I wouldn't say that you know because some guy goes over there and scores fourteen goals that he's going to come back the next year and be a fifty goal scorer. No, right? Because right, he's just scored fourteen goals against some guys. A collection of whoever was available at that time, right? Yeah, <laughs> guess so. <laughs> well, on that note. Uh, stay tuned. I'm sure in the future we'll talk about many more world championships because they are plural in that form. Okay? <laughs> Thanks for listening.